Well, as we do that, uh, let's uh, seek the Lord in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The passage we're looking at uh, this evening is Ephesians chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's page 1173, and that's Ephesians 1 from verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, as Paul said, in these uh, church at prayer meetings, what we're doing is using scriptural prayers to model to us how we should pray, what we should pray. And this evening, we're looking at Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. What does he pray and what can we learn from him? We're going to focus on three verses, verses 17, 18, and 19. And what we see is this. Paul prays for the church that they may know God better. As you may have heard, there was a wedding on Friday. I wasn't there. I don't know the couple that well. And I confess, I was a bit bemused by the behavior of some other people who don't know them that well. Personally, I think that camping outside the church for a week is a little bit extreme, but these people feel that they really know the royal family. One lady said, I have been waiting for this day since Prince William was born. How do we know God better? We certainly don't do it by camping outside his church. No, Paul tells the Ephesians that we know God better through growing in knowledge of him through the work of his spirit. Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, puts it this way. He says that we have received the spirit from God that we may freely understand what God has given us. We who are in Christ have received that spirit. And with Paul, we can pray for ourselves and pray for others that the spirit will aid us in our understanding, will help us more fully to follow and to understand God's majesty. So how do we seek knowledge of God? First, we do it through the spirit of wisdom and revelation that God has already given to us. 
And Paul then broadens that in verses 18 and 19. His prayer is that by the Spirit, the eyes of our hearts will be opened to what God has done for us, what he is going to do for us in the future, and what he is doing for us now. First, verse 18, the hope to which he has called you. God, acting in sovereign power, has already called us to him. But Paul prays that the Ephesians will know more fully the hope of that calling. Because we can look back to the certainty of God's calling in our lives, we can look forward with hope. He has called us into his family. He has called us into this fellowship of believers. He has called us away from our sins and into freedom from sin. He has called us that we may, might live life fully. And as we look around at this fallen, broken world, so challenging of God, so rejecting of his truth, Paul's longing is that we might know more fully the hope to which we have already been called. So first then, the hope to which we have been called, and secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul prays not only that we will know the hope that we have from what God has done in the past, but that we will know the glorious inheritance that is to come. In Romans, Paul describes us with, as fellow heirs with Christ. Do we really live as fellow heirs with Christ on a day-to-day -day basis? Do we live in the knowledge of that inheritance? There's no doubt that an eternity with God is beyond our present imaginings, but his word does reveal aspects of it to us. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I was so struck last Sunday morning by the testimonies of those who came uh, for baptism. I was particularly struck by what Susan had to say about her prayers, her longings for those who don't yet know Christ. If we deepen our knowledge, our understanding of the glorious inheritance that God is giving us through Christ, how much more is that going to motivate us to share, to evangelize, to pray that others will accept the calling that God is making on their lives? So Paul pray, prays for the Ephesians to know the hope to which they have been called, the glorious inheritance of the riches of God, and thirdly, verse 19, his inc incomparably great power for those who believe, past, future, and now present. How do we know the greatness of God's power? We see it through him having raised Christ 
and seating him at his right hand, verse 20, and appointing him to be head over the church, verse 22. John Stott, writing on these verses, warns Christians against two extremes. The one extreme is to seek wisdom through thinking and without reliance on the Holy Spirit. The second extreme is to seek enlightenment without ever thinking. He says, what he says is this, first Paul prays that the eyes of his readers' hearts may be enlightened to know God's power. Then he teaches that God has already supplied historical evidence of that power by raising and exalting Jesus. Thus God has revealed his power objectively in Jesus Christ and now illumines our minds by his Spirit to grasp this revelation. So as we come to prayer tonight, how then shall we pray? First, let's pray that by his Spirit, we will know God better. Let's pray that we will be encouraged by the hope to which he has already called us. Let's pray that we will be struck afresh by the glorious inheritance that is to come. Let's pray that we will understand the incomparably great power that God has now. But of course, Paul isn't praying this for himself. This is a prayer of intercession. He's praying it for the Ephesians, for those he loves in Ephesus. And so he is modeling to us how we should be praying for other people. So as we come tonight in prayer, as we gather for prayer, let's do that. Let's give thanks for what God has done. Let's pray for what he is doing now. And let's commit to him and seek his blessing on what lies ahead. And may this be our prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you.